0: Well, good morning, everybody. Great to see you all. Great to have some visitors with us today, and uh, it's fun getting into this uh, season of Advent as we remember the first coming of the Lord Jesus, and as we wait for the second coming of the Lord Jesus. But uh, it's a delight uh, to sing these songs, to be with you, to recount this wonderful story. And uh, let me just uh, give you uh, just a just a simple admonition that uh, this story is familiar, right? Now, you've heard it before. You've heard it many times before. But allow yourself this morning to hear it fresh. uh, And uh, get everything out of it that the Holy Spirit would have for you this morning. So let's go ahead and jump in. I am the servant of the Lord. Luke chapter 1, 26 through 38. Philip ran as fast as he could. He had to find Nathanael. He had to tell him the good news. It was a typically hot day in the Middle East. And Philip finally found his friend sitting under a tree in the shade. Philip was so excited as he burst out with this message. We have found him! Nate, we've found him! The one we've been looking for! The one we've read about in the Scriptures! He is Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph! Nathaniel seemed shocked by Philip's words. Whoa, Phil! Did you say, Nazareth? Nazareth? How can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip replied to his friend, come and see. You know, Nazareth was a very small town with only a few hundred residents at this time in history. It was mostly poor farmers. Nobody regarded Nazareth as an important town. You wouldn't find it on any maps. In fact, there were two significant lists of towns in Galilee written during this time, and Nazareth doesn't appear on either list. In fact, outside the Bible, you can't even find the name Nazareth in any historical document until the 4th century. The little we do know about Nazareth doesn't help the image that you might have of it either. It was a frequent stop for travelers on their way to the port cities of Tyre and Sidon on the Mediterranean. It was about halfway between there and Jerusalem. Nazareth would often be filled with Roman soldiers and Gentile merchants who were stopping for the night. Not the most moral people to run into. We also know that there was an official edict from Caesar that mentions Nazareth as a place where grave robbing, and vandalism was a real problem. Nazareth, the most unlikely place to find greatness, making it the most likely place to find grace, right? In Luke's continuing account here this morning, that grace would be extended to the lowest person in the lowest place, a young woman named Mary. So as we get started in this very familiar account this morning, let me introduce the characters one more time to you. We have Gabriel. He is a messenger from heaven. We have Mary, who is likely a teenage girl who's engaged to Joseph. In fact, in the, in the Greek, her name is actually Miriam. So we've been calling it wrong all this time. Uh, Her fiancé's name is Joseph, and then we also find Elizabeth, you'll remember from last Sunday. Elizabeth, the wife of Zechariah, also the daughter of a priest. And so to set the scene for us this morning, it's been six months since Gabriel appeared to Zechariah in the temple in Jerusalem, next to that altar of incense. Remember last week's sermon? And And Gabriel gave Zachariah the message that he and Elizabeth would have a baby, despite the fact that they were old and that Elizabeth had a barren womb. So when we see Gabriel mentioned again in our text today, we're kind of expecting what he might say. Uh, He has another message for another future mom. We're expecting that. But we're not expecting this destination. The scene shifts from last Sunday from the magnificent temple in Jerusalem about 65 miles due north to the insignificant town of Nazareth in southern Galilee. I want you to notice five, uh, maybe we could say signposts as we're going through this story today. Five signposts that leads us to the servant of the Lord. The first, humility. Humility. Look in verses 26 and 27 again. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Let's consider for a few moments the humility that's on display here, both in the location of the message, the recipient of the message, and the fulfillment of the message, We've already mentioned the little that we know about the town and the inhabitants of Nazareth. Even Nathanael, who was a resident of Galilee, knew the reputation of Nazareth. Could anything good come out of Nazareth? This was an obscure, poor, sinful destination. But consider further the recipient of the message, Mary. Mary was engaged betrothed which means that she was probably between 12 and 14 years old probably on the younger end like other girls her age she would be illiterate and would only know the scripture that she had heard and recited in the synagogue and in her home one writer describes Mary quote as a nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. Remember, too, that just ahead in the second chapter of Luke, the angels are going to deliver the news of Christ's birth in a glorious way to King Herod himself, right? Wrong. They're going to deliver their astounding message to who? A group of poor shepherd outcasts. Even Jesus himself the fulfillment of this angelic message would exemplify a a poor, humble lifestyle throughout his life. Think about it for a minute, parents. As as parents, out of love, we want the best for our children, right? They want to clothe their children in a way that the, the children won't be embarrassed. They want their children to go to the best schools. They want their children to be raised in a safe and secure and loving environment. But think about this, brothers and sisters. Our Heavenly Father, for our salvation, gave our Savior less by way of earthly privileges than any of us have given to our children. I'm not saying this that you feel guilty because of what God has given you. We give God thanksgiving for His goodness. But I do say this so we'll appreciate the humility, the humiliation... Of the Lord Jesus Christ from before his birth it was determined he would be born to this obscure young girl from an obscure city in an obscure region into a relatively poor family for your salvation in fact Jesus would later say this in Luke 9 58 foxes have holes And the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What should we learn from this? I think we need to recognize and accept the essential spiritual fact that the Lord comes to needy people. Those who realize that without Him, they cannot make it. Those who acknowledge their weakness, their spiritual lacking, Christmas and salvation are not for the proud and self-sufficient. And so we see a tremendous humility here in the text. Interestingly, the word Nazareth comes from a base word, a root word that means root or shoot or branch. It's interesting that that, that, that that town means that because in Matthew's Gospel, we're told that Jesus would be a Nazarene, not a Nazarite, a Nazarene, a person from Nazareth. And, and, and what it says in Matthew 2.23 is that so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. And if we look back to the prophets, we don't have to look any further than the prophet Isaiah to see the significance of this title, Nazarene. Isaiah 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. A little later in Isaiah 53, verse one, who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed for he talking about the Messiah to come. He grew up before him like a young plant and like a roots out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Well, Nazareth could certainly be described as dry ground. And how divinely appropriate it was that the Messiah, the shoot from the stump of Jesse, would live for 91% of his life in a town called the Shoot, Just like this had all been planned. Right? Down to the smallest of details. Notice the second signpost as we're making our way through the story here. And that is generosity. Verses 28 down to 33. And he, Gabriel, came to her, Mary, and said... And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There will be no end. So Gabriel now directs his attention to Mary. It's only three times in all the Bible Gabriel's mentioned. Two here in Luke chapter 1 and back in Daniel's uh, prophecy. So Gabriel turns his attention to Mary. This must have been quite shocking as it was to Zechariah earlier in the chapter. But Gabriel quickly assures Mary with words of grace. This phrase here, O favored one, has been mistakenly translated full of grace. And it's caused a great error in the church going all the way back to the Middle Ages. And because of this poor translation in the Latin Bible, the Vulgate, people believed that, according to one writer, Mary had every gift, not only spiritual but secular, even above those given to angels. Because of this, Mary, uh, people started believing that Mary was not simply a recipient of grace by God in the birth of Jesus, but also a dispenser of grace. And that's why people today continue to pray to her, because they believe she can help them spiritually, give them grace. In fact, in 1854, Pope Pius IX declared the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception, teaching that from the very moment of Mary's conception, she was kept free from stain of original sin. This is a tragic and false teaching, not what the text says at all. As we learned in Scripture, all have sinned, fall short of God's glory, and earn the wages of sin and death. No, Mary was not sinless, but her son certainly would be. Right? Now, even though we admit that Mary was not sinless, on the other side, I want to be quick to say she certainly was privileged. God was very generous to Mary, wasn't he? In fact, it is right to call her the most blessed of all women. Calling her the Blessed Virgin Mary is very biblically. Sound. Mary even said so herself down in verse 48. Mary was the only woman in the billions of women to be born. To be chosen to carry, to nurse, to care for God's Son. Think about it. One writer says this, Hers was the face that unto Christ had most resemblance. The Savior bore some of her human features. Jesus' face could be seen in hers. You ever think about that? Just because others have thought too much about Mary does not mean that we should think too little of Mary. We too must call her blessed. Martin Luther even wrote this about Mary. Oh, Mary, you are blessed. You have a gracious God. No woman has ever lived on earth to whom God has shown such grace. You are the crown of them all. Very appropriate description. Mary was also shown comfort and assurance by the second part of Gabriel's greeting The Lord is with you. So Gabriel's declaration to Mary is one of God's special favor and his special presence the Lord is with you notice Mary's reaction now she's not in doubt like Zachariah was earlier she's not lying prostrate on the ground it doesn't say in terror she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be this has more to do with curiosity and concern it does say she is troubled or the word means anxious she's thinking hard she's meditating on this word from god to her just as we all should do as we read the word of god right gabriel comforts mary once again calms her anxiety then he delivers his shocking four-part message here it comes mary like elizabeth would conceive a son too he would she would call his name jesus which of course was a common name Still is a common name in many parts of the world. It means salvation. Three, he would be God's son. And four, he would be the heir of David's throne. Now, we don't have time this morning to go into all the details of verses 30 to 33. There's a lot in the content of Gabriel's message. But I will tell you this if you take some time later, go back and read 2 Samuel chapter 7 verses 8 through 16 you will see that which is a very important prophecy about the messiah and then you read these verses here 30 to 33 you'll see there's a very close connection between these two passages so all at once Mary learns remember she's a virgin Mary learns she's going to get pregnant the name of her baby is salvation he is God's son and he is the messiah that's pretty big news A 12 year old nobody. Despite this massive revelation, Mary is still thinking clearly. She's still tracking with this. And she has one very logical, or maybe better, biological question to ask the angel. And that brings us to our third signpost the mystery. The mystery of this. Verses 34 and 36 through 36. Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy Son of God. Behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. Okay, Mary, uh, as a young teenager, knows enough about biology to know that it takes a man and a woman to make a baby. And here, Mary asks an important question. How will this be, since I am a virgin? Now, in the Jewish betrothal system, or the engagement system, the husband and wife would be officially and legally married at the beginning of their engagement. A little different than than we do it today, right? However, they wouldn't come together to live as man and wife until after a year. And during that year, the husband would make preparations for their new home and their life together. So although Mary was legally tied to Joseph, she had not yet consummated her marriage with Joseph. So how is she going to have this baby? Mary uses the term Parthenon, the Greek word which is translated virgin, to erase all doubt that she had not had marital relations with her husband to this point. It's the same Greek word, Parthenon, of course, that's used for the temple in the Acropolis in Athens. The Parthenon is simply the temple of the virgin goddess. And everyone knew what the Parthenon meant. It means virgin there was no mistake so gabriel answers mary's question and his response is what we call the doctrine of the virgin birth it's one of the essential doctrines of christianity without it we cannot be saved that important let's see what gabriel says first the conception will occur by divine power the verb overshadow there in our text it's the same word that was used to describe god's presence in the temple and god's presence at the transfiguration remember up on the mountain peter james and john and jesus is transfigured his glory is revealed he stands there with moses and elijah remember that scene that same word overshadowed is used in both of those places so what this does not mean, let me make this very clear. What this, what this does not mean is that God had sexual relations with Mary. Okay? God is a spirit and nothing crude like that is implied here. Nothing at all. God can create life out of nothing. And He is certainly not limited in this situation. In a divine display of power, glory, God created a perfect life inside of Mary. Part of her. This is why the child will be called holy. That's what verse 35 says. Here's the importance of the virgin birth. If Mary had simply had a baby with her husband Joseph and named the baby Jesus, he may well have grown up And died on a cross. But it would have been for his own sins. Not ours. The book of Romans clearly teaches us that death came by the sin of Adam in the Garden of Eden. And death has passed to all men because sin has passed to all men. If Jesus had had a human father and mother, He would be made of the same flesh that we are. Stamped by sin. And destined to die because of it. But because God put this holy, sinless creation in Mary's womb, Jesus would be completely different from us. Even though He was very much like us. Because... He had no sin. This was the only way that God the Son could come to dwell among us. Can you imagine God cohabiting with sin in a human body? Impossible. Impossible. By the way, if you're struggling with this idea of a virgin birth, let me just tell you to take a ticket and get in line. And, and you're right behind You're right behind Mary, by the way, okay? Mary didn't have any idea how this could happen. But if you believe in a God who has no limits, who is all-powerful, who is all-knowing, then there are going to be things that are beyond your knowing. The mystery of the virgin birth. Far from being a problem for faith, It proves the worthiness of God to be worshipped and the importance of our walking by faith and not by sight. It demonstrates our God is able to do all things, which is exactly what Gabriel shared with Mary next. Even though Mary didn't ask for a sign like Zachariah did and got him into trouble, didn't it? Gabriel gives her one anyway. Elizabeth, her relative, is six months pregnant. The same Elizabeth that Mary knew to be barren. If God can do that, God can do this. Look fourthly at another signpost. And that's simply ability. The ability of God. Verse 37. For nothing will be impossible with God. Does that sound familiar? As you think in your Bible? Nothing will be impossible with God. It should sound familiar. It comes from the story of Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 18, where the Lord asks Abraham, is anything too hard for the Lord? It brings back the words of Job in Job 42 when Job says, I know that you can do all things. Gabriel is challenging Mary to remember the God that she serves, and His almighty ability. Some of you who sit here this morning might not believe in your heart that God can do the impossible in your life, in your marriage, in your family. Don't believe that lie. God is the God of the impossible. There is nothing too hard for Him. Trust the Lord, brothers and sisters. He will not fail. He can not fail. A fifth sla- uh, signpost as we get toward the end here, verse 38. Notice slavery. Slavery. Verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Notice finally Mary's faithful response of absolute submission to her lord she calls herself a slave of the lord Dulus, it means bond slave the lowest on the totem pole in that system her will his will god's will is her duty to perform this is how god wants us to pray right that his will would be done right here on earth as it is done in heaven. Have you submitted the trial you're going through? Your shocking news? Your confusing reality to the Lord? Do you live bound to His Lordship of your life? By the way, this doesn't mean that life was easy for Mary. Do you know who would be the first doubter of this announcement? Her fiance, Joseph. Recorded in Matthew 1.19. And the New Testament records on more than one occasion that Jesus' enemies implied that he was illegitimately born. Doesn't mean that life will be easy. Doesn't mean suffering will not come. But in this declaration of submission, Mary becomes not only the mother of the Lord Jesus, she also becomes his disciple. What a beautiful story, isn't it? I'm going to ask the praise team to return to the platform as they're coming for our final song. Let me challenge you to see Mary this morning as a model for followers of Jesus Christ. Y- you know, in a real sense, all of us who are true followers of Jesus have experienced the birth of Christ within, within us too, haven't we? We've come to a place of humility, poorness of spirit, to abandon our self-sufficiency and pride We also have to think deeply and carefully about God's words to us recorded now in Scripture. We must believe that God is able to forgive our sins and grant us eternal life by His grace through the work of Jesus Christ in His death, burial, resurrection. And even when we don't understand how it all works, We must trust that God will do as He promises to do, as He's always kept His promises. Finally, we must give ourselves, like Mary did, in profound submission to God. Your will be done in our lives. Perhaps you're here this morning without Christ's new birth in your heart. Maybe your eyes have been opened this morning to see your desperate need of forgiveness for your sins. The good news is that Jesus died for your sins. Not His. Yours. Taking your penalty. He alone is the way, the truth, the life. No one gets to the Father except through Him. And if you put all your faith, all your trust in Christ This day, you will find forgiveness. You will find eternal life. And in just a few moments, when our service concludes, I would ask if you want to become a follower of Jesus, if you want that new life that He promises to any who will follow Him, who will turn away from their sins, then I would ask you to please make your way to our prayer room. Just over here to my right, to your left, in the corner of the auditorium where counselors can show you after the service in a private area from God's Word how you can know the salvation of the One who is named Salvation, our Savior Jesus Christ. Are you a servant of the Lord, Christian? I hope you are. Submitting to the Lord doesn't mean that life will be easy but it does mean it will be glorious and in the end we're in heaven for all eternity and everything that we endure now even as a faithful servant can't be compared to that can't be compared to that not even a little I'm gonna ask you to remain seated as we sing this last song is not the easiest song to sing uh, with a group of people but if you know it and you'd like to sing along then please do. Uh, The words will be on the screen. But I hope it's an encouragement to you as we reflect on the words of the angel today and who this little baby would be.